Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer Podcast. This is episode 24. Today I will be talking about the murders of Henry and Shara Bryant. My sources for today's episode are Killer Couples, Oxygen.com, WYMT.com, HNGN.com, and Lex18.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in the show notes. A family in rural Kentucky falls victim to a brutal crime. There's been a massive struggle. Blood in the floor, blood on the doors, blood on the walls. My first thought was, what kind of monster are we dealing with? Had someone targeted the family for payback? He said that he would kill them both. Or was something more sinister afoot? They were going to kill her and he had to protect her. As the investigation unfolds, the truth reveals a forbidden love affair between a young couple and a deadly conspiracy fueled by desperation and rage. He worshipped the ground she walked on. It was obsessive. It was possessive. He basically fell under her spell. I think the mixture of the two of their personalities and their relationship was a little strike of a match near an explosive gas The Bryant family lived in Mount Vernon, Kentucky, a slower-paced community. Shara and Henry had attended the same middle school and high school. Shara had a crush on Henry, but they ended up marrying other people. A chance encounter brought them back together. Henry and Shara were very happy and got married in 2002. Their extended family all moved in together. Shara had three kids from a previous relationship, Austin, Caitlin, and Brooklyn. They eventually had a daughter together named Madison. The Bryant family was very close. They were close. Um, you know, Chara tried to keep a relationship between the girls where, you know, not only was that their mother, but somebody they could talk to. Henry worked all the time, but did so to be able to give his kids what they wanted. By 2016, the oldest child, Austin, had moved out for college. The three girls still lived at home and were all close. Brooklyn was 16, but school was the furthest thing from her mind. Instead, she met a boy named Christopher Evans. She had worked at a fast food restaurant and Chris came through the drive-thru one day. Brooklyn and Chris started to flirt, exchange numbers, and it blossomed from there. Brooklyn always came into school happy and was talking about him and sneaking and texting him in class. I was happy for Chris and Brooklyn both because I knew Chris was a very nice guy. You can even call Chris a gentleman, actually. Chris was described as nice, a gentleman, and treated Brooklyn the way every young girl wanted to be treated. It was puppy love, but Chris was older and made Brooklyn also feel older. Shara and Henry were happy for Brooklyn, but they only knew information based on what Brooklyn told them. Shara and Henry didn't know much about Chris other than what Brooklyn was telling them. She said he was a nice guy with a nice family, polite, and treated her well. Chara and Henry trusted Brooklyn and her judgment, but they made it clear that they wanted her to stay focused on her schoolwork before things got any more serious between them. They kept a close eye on the relationship, but they trusted Brooklyn. In June 2017, just before the murders, the Bryant family took their annual family vacation to Florida. They arrived back on June 7th, and on June 8th, Brooklyn called 911 around 7.30 a.m., there's a 911 call from a, a person identifying herself as Brooklyn who said that she had located her parents and there was blood all over the place. 
Brooklyn told the police that she took her dog out for a walk and noticed the sliding glass door to her parents' bedroom had been shattered. She walked inside and found her mom still in bed and her stepdad in the bathroom. She told the police that they weren't breathing. The Rock Castle County Police arrived and Caitlin Witt, Madison Bryant, and Brooklyn Reynolds were all inside. Shara was in her bed. Henry was in the bathroom. They had, been, they had both been shot and were pronounced dead at the scene. My first thought was, wow, this is such a violent attack. So my initial reaction was, gosh, who am I dealing with? What kind of monster are we dealing with? The three girls were taken down to the station so the police could examine the crime scene. There was no forced entry, at least to the front door. There was blood on the floor, doors, walls, and handprints were also found. Shara had been shot once in the head. It was determined that she was killed while she slept, because the blankets were still around her. There was a trail of blood from the bed to the bathroom where Henry tried to escape to. There was evidence of a fight. He was on his hands and knees and was slumped over and was holding a towel to his head like he tried to stop the bleeding to where he was shot in the face. The police also discovered that the glass door had been broken from the inside. The glass was lying on the outside deck. There was no pry marks on any other door in the house. The police ruled out robbery as a motive and believed the killer was let in or a door was left unlocked. At the police station, they wanted to speak to Caitlin, Brooklyn, and Madison. Caitlin was interviewed first, and she said her family had come home from Florida the previous day and that everyone was exhausted. She said she listened to music on her computer and fell asleep. She had to work the next morning but decided to call in because she didn't feel well. She then heard Brooklyn calling for help. She saw and heard Brooklyn outside screaming. Caitlin also saw the broken glass and the bloody scene when she ran outside. The police asked her if she saw or heard anything throughout the night, and she said no. Brooklyn was interviewed next. She confirmed her sister's story and said she called for help after seeing her mom. Brooklyn also said she didn't hear anything that night. Madison was interviewed next. She too was listening to music that night and didn't hear anything until the next morning when she heard Brooklyn. She also saw both her parents dead in their bedroom. The police were shocked that all three girls didn't hear anything, but they did believe it was possible if they had headphones in or were that exhausted. The three siblings were released into the custody of family members and sadly had to share the deaths with Austin and the rest of the extended family. My sister pulled up and she just says, get in. We need to go. And from that point on the ride home is when she told me everything. I didn't want to believe her. I didn't believe her. I was like, no, I just, I've got to figure out what's going on. The next day I talked to Austin, I talked to Caitlin, I saw Madison. I messaged Brooklyn because Brooklyn had went to her dad's. They were in shock that they just lost someone they loved. The police talked to various family members about who could have done this and one name kept coming up, Cody Witt, Shara's brother. Both Henry and Shara had an argument with Cody about a year before over money. There was an argument that I learned about between Cody and Henry and Shara. Shara's mother explains that the trouble had started at a family barbecue a year earlier. Cody had approached Chara about money she had borrowed from him, and a fight had ensued. I spoke to Shara and Cody's mother, who said it was at her house where that had occurred. She said it was over money, and the incident became physical between Henry and Cody. Henry told Cody not to come around anymore, and Cody made a threat to kill both of them. The police tried to locate Cody, but he vanished with his clothes and a truck in his truck a few days before. The family decided early on that Cody had done it. 
The police looked into Cody's background and discovered that he had an active warrant for drug trafficking charges. He was on the run, but police put out feelers or for anyone to let them know if they saw or heard anything from him. Cody actually contacted them a few days later and said he didn't kill Henry or Shara. He said he wasn't ready to turn himself in. He said he was trying to escape his past and was staying with someone. This someone turned out to be an ex-felon who verified Cody was with him and that he could get into a lot of trouble for having Cody with him. The police kept Cody at the top of their suspect list and received a tip that he was in a few towns over. Cody was arrested on suspicion of murder. Cody maintained his innocence and offered to take a polygraph test. The police also obtained a warrant to search his truck. There was nothing found in his truck and he was eliminated. The police now turned their investigation into the three girls who were inside the home. The girls were brought back in for follow-up interviews. Caitlin and Madison stuck to their original stories, but Brooklyn made some shocking statements. Brooklyn said, did you know my mom sell drugs? Once that was said, it is a possible motive. We obviously have a huge opioid problem, and so that is not unusual for people to commit murder over drugs. Brooklyn gave me details that her mom had asked her to be involved, that she too had been involved, that she had actually made some money on the side helping her mother sell pills. Brooklyn said that her mom had sold pills, asked Brooklyn to help, and that she had even made money from helping. Brooklyn said that they had even stopped to make a delivery on the way home from Florida. The police looked into this and couldn't find any evidence that Shara sold drugs. The police looked closer into Brooklyn. They speak with her friends and learn that Brooklyn's relationship with her mother and stepfather had grown increasingly strained in the weeks before the murder. The arguments were over Brooklyn's relationship with Chris. Chris and Brooklyn were in love, but he was 22 and she was 16. She was 15 when they first started dating, and she had never told her parents about his age. Shara and Henry had discovered this when they looked through Brooklyn's phone and realized they had shared some intimate photos. Shara and Henry both told Brooklyn that she needed to end the relationship, and on April 8, 2017, she did by putting the call on speakerphone. Brooklyn had actually never stopped talking to Chris, and she would hide her phone from her parents. Brooklyn had become the typical teenage girl, sort of the rebellious teenage girl that was determined to get her way through things no matter what it took. The investigation soon turned to Chris. On June 12th, the police went to Chris's grandfather's home where he was living. Chris agreed to come down to the station and rode with Detective Ryan Loudermilk. Chris came off as nice and willing to help. He denied knowing what happened to Shara and Henry. The police asked Chris about the rumors that he was forbidden to see Brooklyn. He claimed that they did break up, but he remained friends with Brooklyn and remained friendly with Shara and Henry. Chris said that Shara and Henry told Chris that he and Brooklyn could be friends, and he was at the home the night before the murders. He had helped them put away some items, too. He said he left early in the evening, and he seemed believable. After the interview, Chris was t then taken back to his house. Detective Laudermilk noticed a 38 caliber gun under the bed in the home. He made a comment and Chris's grandpa said that the gun had been in his family for some time. I'd asked Chris during my interview about a gun. Chris stated to me that he had never held his grandfather's gun. Talked about he didn't have another gun, never had a gun, never fired a gun. The police then turned to Brooklyn's siblings and asked them about Chris being able to be friends with Brooklyn. They said no, they had to stop seeing each other and Austin said he wasn't allowed in the home. Every road led back to Chris. The police questioned a neighbor of Chris's dad, 
who said that he saw Chris shooting a gun just before the murders. The neighbor said the gun was something Chris had gotten from his grandpa, a thirty-eight with a wooden handle, which is the same gun Detective Laudermilk had seen on June 12th. On June 21st, the police went back to Chris's home with a search warrant. On June 21st, investigators returned to Chris's house with a search warrant. That search warrant was to obtain that firearm for uh, evidentiary testing. Chris then did say, well, yeah, I actually did have that gun. I did shoot it. They practiced shooting. So I asked Chris, well, why, why not just tell me that? It's not a, you're not a felon. It's not against the law for you to have a gun. Why not just tell me? Chris said, uh, I didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want it to make it look bad on me. Chris's phone was also taken for evidence. His messages to and from Brooklyn had been deleted from June 8th to June 11th. Chris's car was also searched. Blood was found in the driver's seat. It was cut out and sent in for testing. While the police waited, Chris was asked to come back to the station again on June 29th. The police confronted Chris about his changing stories, and he finally confessed to killing Shara and Henry. He said he did it because Brooklyn had told him that her parents were mean to her and were going to kill her. He said they planned it. He drove, he drove over on June 8th, parked across the street, and Brooklyn let him inside. She walked down to the bedroom with him and turned the light on. Chris said he shot Shara first. He then shot Henry, who walked towards him. He shot again and missed. Henry tackled Chris, and he shot again. Henry was able to walk into the bathroom to grab a towel, and Chris shot him again in the, quote, upper part, end quote, and eventually said he shot him in the head. Most of this information was never released to the public, and Chris was asked to draw a layout of the bedroom, and it matched the crime scene. Chris was charged with two counts of murder. The police needed to speak to Brooklyn. She was 16, and her dad had to be present when she was questioned. Brooklyn confessed right away, and she said she did plan the murders with Chris. When Detective Loudermilk informs Brooklyn that Chris has already implicated her, the 16-year-old makes a surprising admission. Finally, Brooklyn did say that she did plan with Chris uh, to have um, her mom and stepdad killed. And we said to her, Brooklyn, you have just helped kill your mother and stepfather. Are you that good? that you can talk a grown man into killing your mom and stepdad, and she said, yes. Brooklyn was also charged with two counts of murder. I think when you fall in love, you do stupid things for love. Everybody does stupid things for love, and Chris basically fell at the knees of Brooklyn. <laughs> the police obtained search warrants for the deleted messages on Chris and Brooklyn's phones. Chris had suggested numerous ways to kill the couple before deciding to shoot them. The gun was tested, they took swabs from the trigger guard, chamber, and barrel, and Henry's blood was found on the gun. Brooklyn's defense was that it was all Chris's idea, and Chris's defense was that he was manipulated by Brooklyn. Brooklyn's family and friends believed that she was the mastermind and that Chris, quote, worshipped the ground she walked on, end quote. On April 12, 2019, Brooklyn pleaded guilty to complicity to commit murder. I aided in planning of shooting my mom, Charlie Bright, and my stepdad, Henry Bright. Knowing what Christopher Evans planned to do, I live inside the house on June 8, 2017, in Rockwell County, Kentucky. I did not stop him from shooting and killing the victim. Brooklyn was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Chris also took a deal. He pleaded guilty to two counts of murder and first-degree burglary. He was sentenced to 60 years in prison. Do you know that by entering a plea of guilty to these charges today that you're giving up your right to a trial? To be yes, sir. 
Patty plead to three charges, two counts of murder and one count of murder in first degree. Guilty, Your Honor. Brooklyn will be eligible for parole in 2037 and Chris in 2074. This is such a sad case because Brooklyn took her mom and stepdad away from her three siblings. I'm sure all teenagers can relate to the puppy dog love or even disagreeing with their parents about relationships, but Shar and Henry only wanted what was best for her, and she took their lives. Well, Chris did, but I also believe that she was the mastermind. She has a chance of getting out of prison in her 30s, and Chris will be in there for life. My book recommendation for this week is Greenwich Park by Katherine Faulkner. Summary. Helen's idyllic life, handsome architect husband, gorgeous Victorian house, and cherished baby on the way, after years of trying, begins to change the day she attends her first prenatal class and meets Rachel, an unpredictable single single mother-to-be. Rachel doesn't seem very maternal. She smokes, drinks, and professes little interest in parenthood. Still, Helen is drawn to her. Maybe Rachel just needs a friend, and to be honest, Helen's a bit lonely herself. At least Rachel is fun to be with. She makes Helen laugh, invites her confidences, and distracts her from her fears. But her increasingly erratic behavior is unsettling, and Helen's not the only one who's noticed. Her friends and family begin to suspect that her strange new friend may be linked to their shared history in unexpected ways. When Rachel threatens to expose a past crime that could destroy all of their lives, it becomes clear that there are more than a few secrets laying beneath the broad-leaved trees and warm lamplight of Greenwich Park. I love a good mystery that involves different points of view and suspicious characters. It kept me guessing, but kept me intrigued at the same time. There were many times, though, where I thought I could never be friends with someone like this, but some people are very trusting. Just look at a lot of the true crime cases out there. I give this book a 9 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode, and I'll be back again next week with a brand new case and book recommendation. Don't forget to subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram, rate and review, or even just send me a message if you like the podcast or even have a case suggestion. I will see you next time, and remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.